Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Today's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15 in the English Standard Version. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you for your word. I thank you for Andy. I thank you for your love that you have um, for us and and children, God, I pray that today you speak through Andy and give us open hearts and open ears to hear what your spirit is saying through, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
So it's been five years, is it five years, since Big Ben's bongs? Is that right? I think it is. Five years since Big Ben has been bonging every hour. And on Armistice Day this year, it's been tested actually already, but it will start again on Armistice Day. Did you know that in the clock tower of Big Ben, it says this, there's a plaque, and it says, all through this hour, Lord, be my guide, and by thy power, no foot shall slide. Isn't that interesting? That every hour that Big Ben bongs over London, there's a prayer going out. Shall I read it again? All through this hour, Lord be my guide, and by thy power, no foot shall slide. Isn't that an awesome thing that somebody has written into London's history? And it's going to bong again. And Sir Lindsay Hoyle said, um, when he was changing all the clocks, did you know there's 2,000 timepieces in Westminster? You know, so when they change the clocks, you know when the clocks go back, 2,000 different timepieces they've got to change. And he said this. He said, when Big Ben bongs again, beautiful alliteration, he said, it will herald a new beginning. I don't know if anybody believes in prophecy or people speaking words that have more meaning than perhaps just they do on a surface level, but I want to take hold of that, don't you? Don't we need a new beginning? Did you know that the Collins English Dictionary's word of the year is called permacrisis? Do you see that this week? Permacrisis. We're permanently in crisis. We've had terrorism and the war on terror. We've had COVID and everything else. Permanent crisis. Well, I'm going to propose three more. They probably won't get into Collins, but let's just pray they do. How about perma-hope, perma-faith, perma-love, permanently, as Big Ben bongs again? Could we pray for that? Because we need a shift in our culture, don't we? We need to reset our clocks right now. We need to reset our priorities to the priorities of God. So what does God care about? This is the series. God cares about generosity, very much so, because he is a massively generous God. And his priorities are love the Lord your God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that an interesting economy of words, or if you like, chronology of words? Love God first with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind before your job, before your wardrobe, before your car, before your holidays. Love God first. And then it says love your neighbor as yourself. So in God's economy, the neighbor comes before yourself. And I know psychology says we've got to love myself before I can love anyone else. I don't know. I'm no psychologist. But I'm just saying, 
God's economy is different. He says, love your neighbor and as yourself. And it's often as you love your neighbor that you understand who you are that we come to an understanding of who we are. See, these are God's priorities. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So each of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the Bible says there's gonna be a reckoning for how we've used that time and how we've walked in the order and the priorities of God. These are serious issues today. I hopefully can bring great joy, but they are serious. If we're under the word of God, which we literally are, aren't we here? Quite remarkably, and I think that's really helpful. See, the Bible actually says in Matthew 25, there's a day coming which is called the judgment time of God, the judgment seat. And do you know the one measure that God uses to see if your faith is genuine? He could, have, he could pick anything, but the Bible says, he says this, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did this for me. That's the one thing he's going to pick when you stand before God. When your time, your lease of time is brought before God, he's going to say whatever you did for the least, for the marginalized, for the poor, for the rejected, for those society have got no interest in. Whatever you did for those, my brothers, you did for me. And that's why I love your bring and share at the back there. It's, go and have a look. I've seen it. It's amazing. Galatians 6.10, as you have opportunity, do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. That's where that's from. It's fantastic, isn't it? So if you want to see if your Christianity is true or fake, the Bible says, whatever you did for the least of these. Now, hang on a minute, Andy. Are you saying that we're saved by what we do? No, we're saved by grace through faith alone. Are we in agreement? But that faith cannot remain alone, James. Would we agree with that? We're saved by grace through faith alone, but that faith cannot remain alone. That faith has to have legs. God came from eternity and stepped down as a human being and did something about it. There's a, a actually the word for compassion is splagnizomai in the Greek. It means moved in the bowels. It means moved to action. Do you know this world needs to see the church not behaving like singing the songs and, and we need to worship, don't get me wrong, and behind closed doors, they need to see the church living it, walking into the marketplace, caring, with generous, God-centered hearts. And that's what's going on in this passage today. And I know that's a long intro, but I'm going to move quite quick, okay? But it was important to say that the background to this. So you see, Paul here in our passage today has spent five years going around churches raising money, which makes me feel good because that's what I do. Uh, it's probably, that's probably where the sort of like similarities between me and Paul end, apart from the fact apparently he was short and bald. So um, that's probably it. But he did, he spent five years raising money for Christians in Jerusalem who were really struggling. 
This is the background to the passage here. And I travel around and I say, hey, there are millions of people around the world who need help. Can we, have we got a heart? Can we believe that God could enlarge our heart for those people or not? And that's what Paul did. And when he's writing this, he's in northern Greece. He's in Macedonia. He's the Philippian church, the Macedonian church, and Berea and Thessalonica. That's where he is in the north. But he's writing the letter to the Corinthian church who are in the south of Greece. Now, the Corinthian church were more wealthy. And he's staying in the north with new church plants. Now, what happens here, if we look at our text, he says, we want you to know, brothers, and some say brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, that is huge. And if anyone's got a problem with what I'm saying today, take it up with the author. Because I, every time I read that, I think, really? You know, we're, we're in a cost of living crisis and everyone's saying we've got to tighten the belt and we've got to watch the smart meter and, and I'm doing all of that. And you know, that's a good thing to do. But can I just show you what happened with people who'd met with God? Because it's a bit different to some of our responses. You see, they are in a severe test of affliction, verse 2. If Paul is saying it's a severe test, it must have been pretty bad, don't you think? Because if you read on in 2 Corinthians, he's the one who's been beaten, shipwrecked, abandoned, absolutely marginalized, whipped, chucked out, you know, the refuse of the world. And he says, this is a severe test that these churches are having in the north. And they're young churches. See, I'm asking myself the question, how do you get that heart? How? How do you get this heart that in extreme pressure not just a tightening of the belt and a little bit higher electricity, well, a lot higher electricity bills, let's be fair, but in, in severe affliction, where the Romans were really turning the screw in terms of the taxation, and they were under great persecution. How? Here's my question today. How do we get to an abundance of joy? Does anybody want that? You see, I know when I look at my bills, I don't look at those bills and go, you know, filled with joy. And I don't think that's what it's saying, by the way. But just saying. I don't go, whoa, yes. Where does their joy come from and how do they get that joy? Because I don't know about anyone here, but I want it. And there's really just three things I'm going to pull out very quickly. If you want it, you need to be inspired by other people. It's modeled by God, and then you've got to do something. You've got to be determined to act. 
if you want God's priorities for your life. And that's a big if. You might not want God's priorities for your life. And if you don't, that's your call. But I'm just telling you, a judgment seat's coming where God's going to measure your life. Now, you say, Andy, you don't put all that fear and heavy stuff. I'm not. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm, right? I'm not coming down heavy. I'm just reading Matthew 25. I'm telling you what is coming out of a loving heart. You will stand before God. He will look at what you've been given. And to us who much has been given, much is expected. So he's using the Macedonian church as a mirror. The cost of living opportunity is a mirror, if you like, for us to see. And they are, I don't think he asked them for money. The new church plants They just got started. They're under extreme poverty. And why do I think he didn't even ask them if they want to contribute to the saints in Jerusalem? Because it says they begged him. So let's read verse 2. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Not a little bit, loads. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. Notice that. No hardline pressure. No pastor saying, you've got to give, otherwise you're a bad boy. Which is not what I'm saying. Do you understand that? It's not. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief. The saints, that is amazing. They're basically going. This is like somebody... Uh, who is homeless in London, going to Howard and saying, please let me give you my last five pounds. That's the widow's mite, isn't it? All she had to live on. You see, some people give out of their wealth, but imagine giving all of your wealth. (laughs) How do you get there? By the way, I'm not telling you you should do this. I'm just telling you the story. How do you get a heart that is that big that says, I trust you. I'm not just going to give a little bit out of my excess, but I'm going to give you my all. Begging, begging him. You see, they... They begged him. They said, we want to not only do this, but we want to give. And I think this is a hinge here, an important hinge in the text. Verse 5, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Do you see that? You see, I think they said to him, Paul, we want to come with you. We want to go to Jerusalem. And it was a really dangerous journey in those days. We don't want to just give you the money we don't have. We want to come. They must have been mightily moved. They must have reached a different level of faith. Do you not think? Maybe. Maybe not to some of you. I don't know you. I just want to tell you a little bit of a story and maybe illustrate a little bit here. A number of years ago, I was at a real low point. Um, Has anyone ever been at a low point? I mean, really low. Well, I was. Um, And I was living in a room, and I had a sleeping bag and a Bible, and that was it. And I was reading the Bible, and I was talking to God, but I was as low as it got. 
and then the electricity went out. It's almost funny, really, looking back now. You know, it's like one of those moments where I was reading the Bible, I had nothing left, and the electricity went out, and I thought, well, whatever. So um, I just lay down on the bed, and I just said, God, I'm ready to come home. Uh, has anyone ever been there? There'll be more. There's plenty of people like that, actually, around. I was a pastor for a number of years. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people, including pastors, by the way, who get to that point. Just saying. And I lay down on the bed, and I just said, God, I'm ready to come. I, I, I just, I've had enough. I don't know what else to do. I was low down, Right? And this is one of the few times in life that I know, but I know, but I know that the Lord spoke in a really powerful way to my soul. He said this, now get this. He said, there's not one person in hell right now who won't swap places with you immediately without a second's notice. Did you get that? There's a lot of theology in that. God said there is not one person in hell that would not swap places with you right now without a second's notice. Some people deny hell. I don't. The Bible doesn't. And you can extrapolate that, can't you? So it could be that I I could be a quadriplegic. I could have cancer. I could be terminal. And there's not one person who wouldn't say, I'll take it if they were in hell right now. See, if we believe in hell, that's likely. They would just go, I'm in, I'll take it. And as soon as God said that to me, I stood and I praised him. I opened my hands and cried like a baby, just praising God with joy, with joy. This is where we're going with this one, with joy. You see, when you think you've got nothing, God sees something. He sees something that you don't see. He sees something your family don't see. He sees something inside you. And sometimes you've got to go to nothing to see that you have everything in the sun. Does that make sense? And the joy that flooded me that made me realize that I knew, but I knew, but I knew that I was born again. I knew, but I knew, but I knew I was going to heaven. And it doesn't matter what happens between that point and now, everything's a win. Do you see that? Even if I lose everything, financially, materially, health-wise, I know where I'm going because it's based on the completed work of Christ on the cross, counted for me. I'm born again. And do you see the joy there? It's incredible, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. I'm just wondering if maybe, if maybe you could just feel a sense of the power of the next few verses that as God, we see God modeling this generosity and grace. It says in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. By the way, there can be fake love. And it's, how are you, brother? I'm fine. See you next Sunday. No.
have all, I can't remember who said this, but you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And God's a God of love. He's a God of grace. And it says here that he gave everything. Here's the model we've got. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Do you see that? That's our model. Some people say, I want to become a Christian. Do you know what I say to them? Why? Don't, Don't usher them in too quick. Let's have a look at the cost of Christianity first before you rush forward because it's going to cost you. If you're here today and you're thinking, I want to become a Christian, I would say, great, hold on a minute. Now, don't hear me wrong. Call out to God, but let's just be clear. If you want to become a Christian, it's going to cost you your life. Never mind your wallet. And you say, oh, Andy, you, you know, Christians are always talking about money. So God's interested in money because he's a generous God. He's a generous God. He gave himself, though, notice, first by himself. Right? So that's what the passage has just told us, that he came As a man, he was rich and yet became poor and lived as a carpenter and died as a criminal on a cross naked because he loves us, because he doesn't want us to have to stand before the Father at the end of time and say, answer for our own life. You see, God's going to say to me, Andy, why should I let you into heaven? I'm going to say, because I'm a child of God. Because everything Jesus did counts for me. Because all my sin is on him. That's it. And because of that, I'm filled with joy. I can't lose. That's the Christian thing, right? You can't lose if you're born again. But there's a cost. There's a real cost. I said at the beginning, some people walk for days to get to church. Some people, we talk about it's the International Day for Prayer for the Persecuted Church today. We have churches in Ethiopia at the moment. Civil war's been going on in the last few years. Let me tell you, it's it's no laughing matter getting to church there or Egypt, you know? But people go, never mind drive from Devon. That's a jolly, that is. That's a joyride. Yeah, it was raining, so what? Do you know what I mean? It's how much has the gospel actually grabbed us? Has it moved us? Compassion means being moved by God. So God actually is in you now. And you have his priorities now. And he's a generous God. And you say, Andy, I want to be that man, but I'm not. Well, just a couple of thoughts as we finish on that. Well, maybe you could just have a look at the text here where you've got the desire to do it in verse 10. You've got the desire to give in verse 10. And the readiness is there, verse 12. If the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So Paul is saying, look, I know the Macedonians gave way beyond they could afford 
but you don't have to. You can, there's no condemnation, there's no pressure. Does that make sense? Paul's saying, I know they did that, and, and that's amazing, and wow, but you don't have to do that. Just give according to what you feel is right. But the question is, what is right? Well, we really get the full answer of that in the second chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 9 from verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want your money. You know, oh, I suppose I better give some. Don't do it. That's the wrong heart. He loves a cheerful giver, someone who's saying, I really want to give. And your pastor goes, you can't afford that. And you go, no, but I really do. Do you understand that? I was a pastor for over 10 years, and that happened once. It did happen, though. It's a beautiful feeling when it happens as a pastor. But look at this. Look at this amazing God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, God is able to widen your heart. And as your heart gets wider, your wallet gets wider. And you start to be able to see, I want to help. Do you know what? A vicar came up to me recently and he said, Andy, I've been a vicar all my life and I don't love people. I loved that guy so much. Why? Because he was honest, right? We need honesty. He just said, I'm broken. He said, I don't love people and I'm not generous. And we cried together and we sat down and we prayed together. I said, God, just open his eyes to the gospel. Open his eyes to what he's been given. Fill him with your love and generosity. Right? Because unless you've been given everything from God, you've got nothing to give. For those who much has been forgiven, they love much. They love much. They don't struggle. It's just a stream that flows out. They actually say, I'm looking for opportunities to give. I don't know about you, but I want to give my life for something that lasts forever. I want to give my life for something that matters, right? Some of my friends, multimillionaires, I grew up in a very posh place called Yorkshire. (laughs) There is actually a posh town called Ilkley, and I'm from Ilkley, and some of my friends are multimillionaires, big houses, they live on the golf course. And they look at me and they say, Andy, what have you done with your life? (laughs) They do. One of them said, you you know, you used to be really arrogant in a good way. You've lost it. And I took that as a compliment. But I want to give my life for something that matters. I want to make a difference, don't you? Because God's made a difference in my life. Because he's raised me up and set my feet on the rock. And I think he has a number of people in this room too. Well, brothers and sisters, um, last thing I'm gonna say today really is that 
it might be that some of you, for some of you, money is a bit of an idol. And because it is in society today, how do you know what an idol of the heart is? It's when it screams when you challenge it. Right? Does that make sense? So you've been sitting here and it's about money and something inside you is screaming against it. I encourage you to get some prayer today and just, just come. I mean, there's going to be some worship a bit later. You could, you could come to the front here and people will pray with you and just say, I know that I have an idol of money. I know that money is bigger than God. An idol is anything that's bigger than God. An idol can be a good thing. Money's not a bad thing, but the love of it is. Right? An idol is sometimes, I think Tim Keller said, making good things ultimate things. So that actually, yes, I, I love God, but not as much as my career, my bank balance, my wardrobe, etc. And if it's screaming, you know, when you, when you challenge that, it'll scream. Because every idol needs a pound of flesh. And I'd encourage you to lay it down because there's more freedom for you. God wants you to be free from that. And money can be a beautiful servant, but a terrible master. It'll kill you as a, as a master. It will kill you. But as a servant, it's a beautiful servant. I just encourage you, friends, I'm going to show a video in a moment of people's lives who have been changed on the Compassion Project. And these are people who've grown up and they've come through the program and their lives have been changed. And I wonder if you've got room in your heart to say, I'm going to take one of those and I'm going to change their life. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to act. Because compassion means action. I love the fact that my God did something. He didn't just stay in heaven shouting out the orders. He came down and he showed us the way in the incarnation. Well, why don't you say, Lord, open my heart. And if not, come for prayer and say, God, I want to do this, but I know I I'm struggling. Be honest. Just be honest. Get some prayer. But if it's right for you today, take a child home. Change their life. You know, last year we took on a girl in Bolivia and six months ago her dad died. Isn't, I mean, that is terribly sad. But God knew that dad was going to die when we took her on. So that means six months before her dad died, her future financially was secure. Do you get that? God knows. There's children on that table who are going to have a difficult year ahead, to say the least. Extreme poverty. You can step in and you can say, I am going to be a Christian. I'm putting my neck above the water. I am not going to just have all these blockers and doubters. I'm going to make a difference. I, there's somebody in this room. I know there's a person in this room who supports six children. Six children. They said, I'm just going to make a difference. And I'm going to do it with a family across the world. That's the heart of and I have to say, there was one woman who we had to stop. And we did actually say, that's enough now. And that's okay. But that's rare. 
most people. Ah, oh, my, it's not for me, thanks. Consider it before God now as we watch this video. Is God speaking to you? Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for Jesus. Let's run the video. We're here today, and we are going to ask you to write one last letter to your sponsor from all those years ago, just catching them up on, uh, on who you are today. Dear Brian Amy Clark, it has been 21 years since I graduated from the Compassion Center. The day I found out that you had become my sponsor was one of the best days of my life. At first, it was unbelievable that somebody wanted to help us. People told us that we will never be somebody in this life. Not one person I knew believed in me, and poverty was my forever reality. But your decision to sponsor me changed all that. We knew for sure we will be receiving practical benefits like food, medical care, school supplies, and new uniforms every year. I got my first ever gift, which was my first pair of shoes. But there were some things we didn't expect. Learning about Jesus changed my perspective and helped me make good decisions. Or see my church reach out to my community and see it change. On your first letter, you told me the phrase, we love you. It was the first time I ever heard that. You gave me an opportunity to believe, hope, and dream again. If only you knew how your prayers made a huge difference. From not being expected to complete primary school, I now teach in one of the best schools in inner city London. Jesus saved us and saved my dad. I want you to know it made a difference. Sponsorship changed who I am today. My family's life has changed for the better. If only you knew how much all you did impacted me, you'd be so proud of who I have become. Ten years ago, when you stood beside me as the best man in my wedding, it was one of the highlights of my life. You did it, Jan. We did it. Thank you for pouring into me and sponsoring me. Thank you. Thank you. Sincerely, Maria Momohara. Sincerely, Owen Getanga. Sincerely, Liz Riera. With love, Sandy Maya. appreciate uh, being with you today and I really appreciate your attention and your consideration and as we worship just seek God for whatever most of all heart change thank you I was just that was just amazing such a challenging wonderful message just as the band come up just want to continue just a sense of the presence of God amongst us and maybe you just want to take a few moments just of silence just time to be with him just maybe bow your head close your eyes just thank God thank God for his generosity goodness in your life just ask him well Lord here I am send me what can I do? What do you want me to do? We're going to come to worship in a moment, just respond out of the overflow of his generosity. Just 
Let's just be still just for a moment and just enjoy the, the silence of his presence and his goodness here. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.